Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college football preseason betting preview part four. We're talking Pac-12 today. I'm Stucky, and with me as always is Colin Wilson. You ready to talk some Pac-12 after dark and maybe Pac-12 early morning? Pac-12, 9 a.m., Bloody Mary. Sounds good to me. Let's just make it an 18-hour day between Hawaii football and Pac-12, 9 a.m. football. We'll also be talking uh, with Dan Rubinson at the end of the podcast. Many of you might know him from I'll Take That Bet, a show we did with ESPN, the Solid Verbal podcast. Oregon guy, Pac-12 guy, so can't wait to get his thoughts. But, you know, we need to start on a different subject. We're well known here for Bodog Jim and some of the things that he said about us gamblers last year. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. So he doesn't want to associate with gamblers and he wants to avoid us like the plague. But the head coach of your favorite Baltimore you know, Ravens team, I think he had some words yesterday about gambling. Obviously, people say, okay, well, what is that limit? What is that pitch count? You see a guy like Cam Newton, a max of 139 times in a given year. Is there an over-under on that someplace? I, I, bet, the, I bet the over on that one. I bet the over <laughs> for sure on that no one. No hesitation. Yeah, I mean, let's look. I'm a proud Ravens fan. And although I'm a Michigan fan this year because of futures. <laughs> so, I mean, at least if it all falls apart, I can blame Bodog Jim. But yeah, John's when asked about the Lamar Jackson over-rushing prop, he said, take the over which is in complete contrast to the our favorite quote uh, from Jim that we always play here. Look, if I had to take it, I'd actually take the under. But we're talking Pac-12 here today. We mentioned the 9 a.m. kickoffs. There's a lot of off-season Pac-12 news, non-team related. You had this talk of potential 9 a.m. local kickoffs. Uh, I'm down for some 9 a.m. local kickoffs on the East Coast, by the way. Like you said, let's get this morning started early. And then they announced that the Pac-12 championship game will now be played in Vegas, I think starting in 2020 or 2021. Mm -hmm. Not this year, but next year. There was also a mass, and every better out there will relate to this, Pac-12 refs. Uh, which are you know well known in the gambling Twitterverse as the worst, and probably throughout you know elsewhere outside of Twitter. But they had a a consultant come in and look at their entire officiating program at Sibson Consulting, and they did a whole review. The funny thing is, they came out and said it's fundamentally sound and predominantly consistent with industry best practice, including with regard to the quality of officials and use of state of the art technology, which is just. BS because then they gave about 20 recommendations, which they're going to implement. So, you know, there's new reporting structures and new replay code. Hopefully, we don't have debacles like we did in that USC game last year, new communications protocol. So, we'll see if the Pac 12 refs get better this year. But that's a conversation for the season. We're here to talk about each of the 12 Pac 12 teams. 
their win totals, futures value, uh, and what the overall lay of the land looks like in the Pac-12 headed into the season. And look, I love doing these previews. We get great feedback on them. And I think one of the reasons why they're so successful is that Kyle and I don't talk about any of this beforehand. He sends me mm-hmm. his projections and notes right before we record, and I don't share my notes. And then we just spit and we disagree on some, we agree on the others. But I think that's why it's worked. There's no group think. We don't put our heads together and say, okay, what do we think about this team? That's You're getting that authentic conversation during these podcast previews. So without further ado... Let's start with the Pac-12 South, and we're going to get to Utah, who we both love. We've uh, said it many times how much we love Utah and professed our love for the Utes. We'll get to them. Let's And, and look, it's a very, very down Pac-12 South. Let's start with two teams that I know that we're probably going to agree on looking at your win total projections, and that's two teams in the state of Arizona, Arizona State and Arizona. Very similar odds across the board. Look, they have... Their win totals are both six and a half. Arizona State's juiced to the over a little more. They're both 30 to one to win the Pac-12. You project 6.7 wins for Arizona State I and project 6.8 for Arizona. So with a win total of six and a half, these teams play each other at the end of the season. My sentiment before looking at your projections was, I think these two numbers are about right. And it's probably going to come down to that last game of the year. So there's no reason to tie up money in either win total. We'll get into each team a little bit in their specifics, but you would agree with that overall general sentiment, right? Yeah, not only that. Last season, they ended playing each other, and it was a difference of one point. And I believe the spread floated between a pick to a point and a half, and the game ended 41-40. So that's how close. The, you know, It's just razor thin the margins here with these two teams in the state of Arizona, especially at win totals of 6.5 and, and then 6.8 and 6.7, the projections. Yep. Uh, speaking of Arizona State, there's a QB competition, which I don't even – there's, a, I think, three true freshmen who were involved because mm-hmm. obviously they lost Manny Wilkins. Uh, they did lose Nikhil Harry, their star receiver, but they still have a lot of experience at the skill position players, and especially at running back, you know, Benjamin, who might be the best back in the Pac-12. So the question is going to be, can a, can a quarterback emerge on that offense? And we, we know Herm Edwards really likes to run the ball – even though it conflicts with what his offense coordinator really wants to do. Uh, you know, tight end play is a question mark, but the offense has the potential to be really good if someone steps up at that quarterback position. And then on the defensive side, uh, you know, they did lose both tackles as well, which is something to know. The defensive side, they were starting six freshmen towards the end of last year. You know, Robertson in the middle linebackers is solid. They have a pair of three-year starters at corner. So there's some talent on the defense that you think will get a little better than last year. Uh, it wasn't great. There's some pieces here. The problem is the schedule. They play at some tough run defenses, including Michigan State, and they're going to be a run-heavy team and relying on Benjamin. Uh, they go to Utah as well. What are your thoughts on this overall roster? Yeah, so, I mean, with Arizona State, you, first we're going to start with the quarterback. They do have a redshirt junior, uh, Dylan Sterling Cole. I think he redshirted 2017. He only had two snaps last year. I think in 2016, it was not good at all. He was 28 of 57 and had one touchdown to four interceptions. So I think they're going to go with the true freshman who is the number two dual threat quarterback in the country with Jaden Daniels. It's actually a pretty good schedule to start off with him, considering they're playing Kent State and Sacramento State, which, uh, you know, there may be a bet involved there with Michigan State on deck. But, you know, Herm Edwards played a ton of true freshmen last year. So I think Daniel's going to be the way they go. It could be a struggle in the first two weeks. And, uh, you know, Kent State is actually a team in the MAC that I like, and we'll get to them during the Group of Five podcast. But uh, I think that's something that you definitely want to watch for with Arizona State to start off. Now, they leached Danny Gonzalez 
the defensive coordinator from San Diego State. He runs the three three five exactly what exactly what the Aztecs do. Now San Diego State did beat them last year, but overall in the stats, they did a really good job of limiting uh, explosive plays last year. They still had a poor sack rate of 90th. Uh, their third down success rate was 103rd. But in general, you know, they were 27th in defensive ISO PPP. So they were really able to stop, you know, limit explosive plays. And they're 14th in returning production on the defensive side of the ball. So I think it's only going to get better. Uh, you know, in contrast to Arizona, uh, you know, they have five of their nine Pac-12 games at home because in the Pac-12 you play nine. So it's not always going to be an even number of home and road games. And they got three home games in November, and that's pretty big. Uh, they got road trips to UCLA, Oregon State. UCLA is a very manageable conference schedule. So I like Arizona State. If you had to take a total, I would take them on the over. But like we said before, it's going to come down to that last game. I would agree. Yeah, I actually lean – Arizona State over and Arizona under, but you know if Arizona wins that game at the end of the year, and it's in Tempe that they could potentially get the seven. But they have a weird schedule now. They, look, it's going to be Khalil Tate back. They have a dynamic running back uh, and JJ Taylor. They're going to run their up tempo offense. They have all new receivers though. So what are they going to get from the receiving core? Can Khalil Tate stay healthy? There's some potential at linebacker and in the secondary. They have Whitaker back at corner, but they had no pass rush at all. They also have a kicker that you love, and Haversick, who missed that extra point for you. He's a he's the kicker this year. But the question with Arizona is: Look, this team could go. They could win nine games if things start out well, or they could win three if things don't, because their beginning schedule is very manageable. But there's some tricky spots. So starting at Hawaii on August 24th. Then they play Northern Arizona, who has Cook is back at quarterback. They, I think they beat UTEP last year, but they, I mean, they lost a ton. They should win that game at home in their home opener. Then they have Texas Tech at home, then a bye, then UCLA at home. Then they're at Colorado. So realistically, they could be 5-0, and and then they're hosting mm-hmm. Washington. And then all of a sudden, it's like there's going to be a ton of hype around the team and Tate. And you know that's a huge game, the potential to get to 6-0 and if they start 5-0. and But look, if they lose to Texas Tech, if they trip up on the island, uh, you know, if they go to Colorado with Washington on deck, you know, and look ahead from that game after they're 4-0, another tricky spot. Because then all of a sudden they go to USC, to Stanford, then they play at Oregon, at Arizona State, and have Utah at home. So the schedule gets really tough. So if they start out, they trip up a couple games, it could get really ugly with Arizona. You know, when you have a girlfriend, you have a breakup, and you forget about her for a while, and you come back, and you're just so emotionally invested in it that you just – kind of bury it and you don't want to think about it. Well, that's kind of what Arizona is to me because I got so wrapped up into Khalil Tate and the highlights of what we saw from two years ago. The last year hurt. I mean, Houston twists his ankle uh, in a pile. He gets up and he's not the same for the rest of the year. And we kind of argue and think that it, it may be the offensive coordinator or maybe it's Kevin Sumlin that's not letting him run outside the pocket while he's got all his, you know, his ankle taped up for the rest of the season. Listen, Khalil Tate's 100% healthy again. So much that I'm on the Twitter looking for videos of him just taking snaps and throwing the ball yesterday in practice. Uh, he's currently 100 to 1 at Westgate for the Heisman. I'm not sure if we want to go down that path, but you know, a week zero total of 70 at that game on the island. That I mean, that seems like one of the easiest overs you could put together between Cole McDonald being healthy and Khalil Tate being healthy. That's going to be crazy. But they actually improved in defense last year. They I remember last year their roster was just loaded with freshmen. Over half the team was true freshmen, and they actually improved from 115th in SP plus defense in 2017 to 74th last year. Now, that doesn't seem like they have a very good defense, and they don't, but it's still a massive improvement. Marcel Yates is still there as a defensive coordinator. They've got to work on finishing drives. They were 119th. they got to work on sack rate. They were 100th. they got to get past rush. And the offense, but the good news is, is all the offensive linemen, the offensive 
offensive lineman was just like it was a clown car of guys just filling positions in different spots and they didn't know where they were going to find guys uh, I think they were searching the campus for people to come in and play but they have four offensive linemen that had nine starts last year that's good for Khalil Tate that's good for JJ Taylor you know but they only have four of their nine conference games at home uh you know it consists of Washington and Utah uh and the one thing that I do not like about Arizona's schedule they spend both their bye weeks before September 28th. If Khalil Tate gets hurt, if somebody gets hurt, if, the, if injuries start taking a toll, they've wasted their two free bye weeks before we even get to October, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, and especially if they drop a couple games. Like it's, It could get ugly for Arizona. But again, if they win those first five games, then who knows? Mm-hmm. Look out. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I think I would lean under. I think things could go wrong, especially with their buys. And I think there's a, a better chance that things go wrong and go south for Arizona. Uh, but if they get there off to the hot start, who knows? Another team not projected to do much in the Pac-12 South is Colorado. Win total is four. Uh, they're 100 to one to win the Pac-12 at Westgate. Uh, they do have five Pac-12 road games, and something that you've been noting. They're the only team in the Pac-12 with a new coach. So Mel Tucker, the longtime Nick Saban disciple, uh, he was in the NFL. He's been at Georgia for the last couple of years. Defensive guy. He comes in. They have Montez back at quarterback, Chenault at wide receiver. So that should be an electric connection. They do have to replace their entire backfield. Thus, Trayvon McMillan and his backups. They have a couple pieces on defense, including Mustafa Johnson up front on the defensive line for Tucker to work with. Uh, I was surprised to see that you projected them to get to 5.3 wins, especially with five Pac-12 mm-hmm. road games, a new head coach. Uh, I think the win total looks about right. Uh, you know, if you did make me bet, I'd probably go over. But especially you're getting plus money at over four. But 5.3, I thought it was a little higher. Are you high on the buffs than most? Yeah, I, I am high on the buffs. And, and you know, I, I discussed this uh, a couple of weeks ago with Matt Lindemann on our on our podcast. You guys can uh, search back and, and listen to that because it originally opened up three and a half. And it was the biggest discrepancy that I had versus Caesar's numbers. And, you know, it's it's all just mathematics. They they got an upgrade for me, just a small tick up for for head coach Mel Tucker. Uh, he was with Nick Saban since the 90s at Michigan State. He was, you know, a big part of the of the Georgia defense over the past three years. They got a little bit of a tick up for returning production. They got a little bit of a tick up for second order win total. So because of that, I mean, they're still ranked. They're still power rated 11th out of 12 teams in the conference. So it's not like they've jumped anybody. It's just that, uh, you know, they got these little bumps in, in the off season that kind of got them to 5.3. But, you know, the more I dig into it, do I, do I have a Colorado over three and a half? I do. So I, I would suggest taking a four, but, you know, doing, you know, more, a, a deeper dive on these guys over the last month. And I, I look on the offensive side of the ball and you're right. Schnault, Montez, these are two electric players that we love to watch, but Jay Johnson was hired as their offensive coordinator. He was, an analy- he was an analyst at Georgia last year, and before that, he was an offensive coordinator at Minnesota. They were 113th in explosiveness uh, and 78th in efficiency in 2016. That's not very good. So I went a little bit farther back into offensive coordinator Jay Johnson's pass, and I went to 2015 Louisiana Lafayette, 103rd in ISO PPP, 74th in efficiency. This guy has not been able to produce any explosive team whatsoever on offense. And he's never been able to produce anything in the top 70 when it comes to an efficient offense. So, I mean, he gets Montez and Chenault, so at least his his explosiveness numbers should increase. But there's nothing here saying that the offensive side of the ball has been enhanced with these coaching changes. Uh, You know, they do start off with Colorado State, Nebraska, and Air Force defenses, which is good. Uh, You know, those defenses allow a lot of yards. Uh, So we'll see how they start off. But I'm just I'm a little nervous about the creativeness of Jay Johnson on the offensive side. Fair enough. Let's move on in the Pac-12 South and talk about a, a team that's, you know, used to be part of the discussion as a team that's uh, the favorite, but not anymore. And that's USC. 
Clay Helton is still there. Why? I don't know. Ask Lynn Swan. <laughs> I asked that administration. Not a fan uh, of Clay Helton. But USC win total seven, over seven, minus 120. They're eight to one to win the Pac-12. Very difficult schedule is one of the first things that uh, when I looked at this, I mean, they start off with Fresno and then Stanford and then at BYU and then Utah and then at Washington by at Notre Dame. I mean, it, it doesn't get more brutal than that right off the bat. The question is with their offense last year, the offensive line was an absolute mess and they lost their two best, but you know, they're going to be, they have a new scheme this year. So, you know, they have Graham Harrell coming in to run the air raid. So, you know, with a new scheme, wider splits, new blood in there at offensive line, maybe it's an improvement. The question comes down to quarterback play then. JT Daniels, is he going to get the job? I assume yes, but there's some more other mobile options with Fink and Sears who potentially could challenge Daniels uh, in this new system. The receivers are great. Look, their receivers are the best, I think, best group uh, in the Pac-12. But, you know, and the running back is solid as well. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, secondary is really, really young. They lost Porter Gustin and Cam Smith at linebacker. The defensive line has a lot of potential. They're moving to a four-man front there. Freshman Drake Jackson, he could be a potential first-round draft pick. And Jay Tufele, he's a potential first-rounder as well. So the defensive line has a ton of potential, but there's questions in the backside of that defense. So a lot of changes with USC, except Clay Helton, which is the one I think they needed to make. Schedule's really hard. I think there's a bump for their name, I think, here. If I had to bet this, I'm going under. What are your thoughts on USC? Yeah, it's definitely an under. I'm at 6.1. It's the numbers now at seven. I think it opened up eight in some places and I took some unders, you know, seven and a half took some under. I still take some under at seven. The one change that they didn't make either is they didn't fire Clancy Pendergast, who's a defensive coordinator for USC. And the numbers just keep getting worse and worse and worse on defense. Last year, Trojans finished 90th in defensive ISO PPP. They lost five of their last six games. They didn't go to a bowl. They continue to get worse on defense as far as allowing explosive plays, whether it's through the air or on the ground. Their passing downs, S&P Plus, was down to 74th. You can you can get them when it's third down situations. It's just that was the I think that was the name. Clancy Pendergast was the one that the, the fans and most of you know, the fan base and the media thought that was going to get the axe and, and nothing happened. So it was quite a shock there. As far as offense, so let's go dig into Graham Harrell a little bit because he's the offensive coordinator at North Texas the past couple of years. And while people think that that's, you know, an extremely good offense, especially on the G5 level, he is, but he's not an explosive offensive coordinator whatsoever. Now he's, he's extremely efficient, but Mason Fine is not a quarterback that takes shots 50, 60 yards down the field. He's the kind of guy that can move the chains uh, multiple times before they get into the red zone. I think the one thing that I'm going to be watching out for, and you're right about JT Daniels, he hasn't even won the job. Uh, you know, he, he, he was ranking in the 50s in, in, in both, you know, uh, explosiveness and efficiency last year. So we'll see if we'll see if Graham Harrell can have any kind of change on that. Uh, there's one stat that is just kind of blew my mind with all of this is that is what's going on in passing downs run rate. So passing downs run rate is how many times do you run when you're in a passing down situation? Say if you're in like second and 12 or if you're at third and nine, how many times are you running the ball? Crazy enough, USC ranks 118. North Texas under Graham Harrell was ninth in that stat, which tells me that anytime that they got the chance to run the ball on third and long, they were doing it. So I found that stat very interesting. And is that how much is that going to change, especially with JT Daniels stats? Are they going to go down if they prefer, if they elect to run more uh, in third and long situations? So it's definitely something to watch. Like you mentioned, schedule's brutal. They only have one bye week. They don't play after Thanksgiving. Uh, if they potentially made a Pac-12 championship game, 
they would have a bye week, but I seriously doubt that. So they just have one bye week. Uh, they got a stretch of at BYU, then Utah on a Friday night. So they play Utah six days after they play at BYU. It's going to be rough. And then they go at Washington. That's all just in the month of September. Uh, to close the season, they have four road games in, in six weeks. And after that bye week, and then that also includes going out to Notre Dame. So the schedule's brutal. The defense isn't getting any better. I think the changes they made on offense are going to help, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the four-man front with their defensive line can help against the run. I mean, they were bad against everything last year. But uh, can they generate pressure on the quarterback? I, I don't know. I don't think so. And especially with their losses at linebacker. And then they're so young in the secondary. So I still have questions about the defense. Their offense, look, it's going to come down to the offensive line. But with a air raid attack with those receivers, you know, St. Brown, Michael Pittman, Vaughns, and they obviously have a ton of young talent. They recruit receivers as well as anyone out there on the West Coast. Uh, but, you know, there's questions about JT Daniels and that offensive line. So, you know, with this schedule, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's continued selling uh, of the Trojans. Let's stay out in California in that area and talk about UCLA. Win total six and a half. Over plus one ten, they're fourteen to one to win the Pac twelve. You make this six point three, so I'm assuming this is a completely stay away from the win totals. Look, this is a second year scheme changes. They were really young last year. They're going to be more experienced. That should help. The problem is the schedule is vicious at Cincy to start, then San Diego State at home, then Oklahoma at home. That's your UCLA non conference schedule, and then they're at Washington State and at Arizona. Uh, then they finally get a breather with Oregon State at home by at Stanford. Schedule is absolutely brutal. There's questions at quarterback. Look, I mean, I guess there's a high ceiling with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He'll be starting uh, at quarterback. And last year, it was Wilson Spite who beat him out. But then he got hurt. Then it was Robinson. Uh, then he got hurt. And then it was Spite again. But Robinson, who's you know, terribly inaccurate last year, but he was only a 19-year-old kid, true freshman. So how much can he improve? That's a big question. The offensive line is also a big question. You know, they got boss tackle low at center. Uh, this freshman stud left tackle, Sean Ryan, he could be very good, but there's still questions about the offensive line. Theo Howard, a receiver, has potential. It's still a young team overall. And, you know, on, on defense, can they get a pass rush just like USC? It was just non-existent. They had no edge rush. I don't see much of it this year. Uh, Josh Kelly on the offensive side, solid at running back. He can run the ball. I mean, Chip wants to spread it and run it. But, you know, it's you know, they got to replace Caleb Wilson, too, the top receiving tight end in football last year. And uh, Asiasi's a stud, and he could be really good at tight end. But replacing Wilson is not going to be easy. So there's still a lot of questions with this team. Five road games in the Pac-12 and that non-conference schedule. Uh, it's a lot to ask for a young team. They're secondary. I like some of their pieces with Holmes, who's also a return man, and Lake at safety. But again, there's no seniors in the secondary, getting back to that youth point. And UCLA, who we said is five Pac-12 road games, they're 1-14 in 14 in their last 15 games away from the Rose Bowl. You know, with UCLA at six and a half, I'd have to lean under, but the, the total looks about right. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, young is it. I read that there are going to be 42 freshmen, 42 freshmen on this roster as camp breaks. That's a, that's a really large amount. That tells, I mean, Chip Kelly is still looking for his guys, his studs, his horses. Uh, I don't think he really knows of Dorian Thompson Robinson, who is the guy he seeked out in recruiting last year. The second Chip Kelly took the job, that's the guy he went out and got. And last year he had just a 57 completion rate. He was sacked in 9% of his dropbacks. Now, I mean, he's a true freshman. He's kind of thrown to the wolves. So, I mean, we'll have to see if there's improvement this year. He was good in play-action passing, but he's just not the Marcus Mariota comparisons when it comes to running the ball. That's not 
I don't. Th- I think Chip Kelly got what he wanted with, as far as it comes to being a dual threat. You know, the defense was 118th in success rate. They just could not get people off the field whatsoever. Anybody can move the chains against these guys. It's a team I'm not touching the win total because, you know, I've got them at 6.3. Uh, it's at 6.5 with the juice under a minus 130, I think, at Westgate. So it's I don't know when I'm going to play these team, when I'm going to hop onto these guys. But I just think it's more of a sit back and, and collect data on UCLA until Chip identifies the guys that he wants to really compete with. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're a UCLA fan looking for an optimistic view, I mean, it's Thompson Robinson takes a huge step forward. Apparently he's lost some weight uh, so he can run more and they're going to be running more you know, zone read options. So it's that's the hope there is how much can Thompson Robinson's production and accuracy uh, in particular, improve in his second year. But you're right, the schedule's brutal. Now, if they do show signs of improvement, they do have to go to Stanford and to, to Utah, but the good thing is they have bye weeks before both of those games. So maybe those are spots you know, in mid-October and mid-November uh, that we look to, but more on that later. Let's now move to the final team in the South, and that is a team that we have long been in love with, uh, and their odds have moved significantly and that's the utah utes open 10 to 1 to win the pack 12 at some places now down to 3 to 1 which is where you'll also find a few other teams but none in the south you'll find those teams in the north oregon washington we'll get to those teams this team is absolutely loaded i think when you talk utah you have to start with the defense uh, I think the defense has potential to be one of the best in the country. You know, they did lose two key linebackers in Chase Hansen and Cody Barton. And also all-conference all safety Marquise Blair. But the secondary is going to be fine. Blackman and Johnson. I mean, Jalen Johnson's one of the best defensive backs in the nation. You know, the offense also gets back its two best players from injury in Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, their quarterback and running back. And, you know, I did say they meant they lost two linebackers, but they brought in Manny Bowen from Penn State at linebacker. Their defensive tackle position is loaded and so deep. I mean, this defense is really good, and they get Huntley and Moss back. One thing I'll mention, first special teams mention of the podcast, first of many in the year, <laughs> they did lose kicker Matt Gay. You know, he was a former Lou Groza Award winner, and there's big question marks about who's going to replace him. And there's usually no question marks about Utah special teams. Uh, but the kicker, that could become – an issue in Utah. So keep your eye out there. They do start at BYU before the schedule, their non-conference eases up with Northern Illinois and Idaho State. But that, I mean, that that game, you know, the win total of nine over nine minus 130, they're three to one to win the Pac-12. That game at BYU could go a long way in determining if Utah gets a 10 wins or not. I like the over nine. Uh, I like them 12 to one to get to the playoff. Three to one, I, I still think that there's some value to win the Pac-12 just because the South is so weak. Uh, obviously, it's not as good as 10 to one, but I, I love this team and and think there's big things ahead for Utah, who also has a favorable schedule overall. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Utah? The big games on the schedule are at BYU, at Washington, at USC. That's what's standing in between them, and they got to win two of those three. I'm at 9.5. I have high aspirations for these guys, you know, going to the to the college football playoff. So I'm not going to, you know, sit here and 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 repeat everything that stuff because I agree with all of it. The 10 to one, uh, I'm sorry, 12 to one to make the playoff. The Pac-12 was 10 to one. It's down to three to one. That's exactly the same price that you would need if you're going to parlay Washington and USC. You know, they're 21st in returning production. Uh, if I give you some, you know, some stats that you may not see that you know at other places, uh, you know, Bradley Anae returns on the edge rusher. He accounted for 11% of the team's total havoc last year. 
That's uh, extremely impressive. Linebacker Manny Bowen transfers in from Penn State, so it's going to be kind of thin in linebacker. Uh, but they picked up a, a guy from Penn State that could be all Pac-12 honors. Julian Blackman and, and, and Javelin Guidry are, are going to be in the secondary. They may not be the top tacklers that return in the secondary, but they combined for 19 pass breakups last year. This this team is is so fantastic. The defense could play in the SEC. That's how good they are. And so I was going to talk about you know how, how Utah goes with special teams, and, I, and I'm glad that you went down the kicking route because I actually took notes on the punting route, which okay. is uh, they went and got they went and got a guy, uh, Aussie Rules Football, uh, named Ben Lennon. He's going to be a freshman, although he played four years in, in Aussie football. Uh, he was one of the best, uh, you know, but those players that they had down there. He played for the Richmond Tigers, star of the pride. He, he was named as the rising star in 2015. So look out for Ben Lennon, our Aussie punter, who has tons of experience in the Aussie Rules Football League uh, as, as a rising star and as their punter. So uh, love Utah every single way. Uh, there's no way I'm fading these guys. I will say this. As of today, that number, that BYU-Utah number i was looking to get byu at seven i was willing to let it sit sugar house up in pennsylvania they have it at six and a half but uh some of the offshores and and, and one of the vegas books today took it down to five so I, I was i was hoping that there would be enough utah love blind love in the market to get that number up to seven that's the holy war that's a huge rivalry game seven is a ton of points so uh, i was waiting for it to get there but it looks like uh, that got nipped in the button got down to five so it's some probably going to be on byu that game if you're looking ahead to week one All right, so now let's move on to the Pac-12 North, which is definitely not as straightforward as the South, where we both agree it's Utah, and then, uh, you know, it's a big conglomerate of, eh, we can go either way with these teams. Utah's the clear favorite there. In the South, you know, you have Washington and Oregon, who are both 3-1 to to win the conference. So, you know, obviously this could really go either way. You also have Stanford in there. But, you know, the North looks like it's going to be much more competitive. Washington State also. So let's start there with Washington State, a team that can't seem to beat Washington, to be quite frank, to get over that hump. But they surprised a lot, uh, a lot of people last year with quarterback Minshew, and they almost got to the Pac-12 championship game. They were in the discussion for the college football playoff for most of the year. Well, Minshew is gone at quarterback, but Leach dipped back into – the transfer market and got another quarterback uh, this time from the FCS level. And he brought in former Eastern Washington quarterback. And I just want to make sure that I don't get his name wrong. Gage Gubrud. I think that's how you pronounce it. I always say Gubrud or Gubrud, but I think it's Gage Gubrud. Anytime you get two U's in a name, it could be, it could be brutal. Yeah, I think it's Gage Goober, but he's 24 years old. He was at Eastern Washington. He only played five games last year, which is one third of their 15 games since they went to the playoffs. And if he played one third or less, then he was able to get another year of eligibility, which is why he's here. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously Washington state runs the air raid offense. They have seven of their top eight receivers back. They did lose tackle Andre Dillard, but they got four of their five offensive linemen back. They lost running back James Williams, but they got, they they still have Borgia at running back. So I think they'll be fine in that department. The question is, you know, like any air raid offense, it comes down to the quarterback. I actually have questions about, Gubrud. You know, he was in 2016. I mean, he was unbelievable at Eastern Washington. He completed 68% of his passes for over 5,000 yards, nine yards per attempt, 48 touchdowns, 14 picks. In that season, Eastern Washington went to Pullman and beat Washington State 45-42. Gubrud was 34 of 40 for 474 yards and five touchdowns. But do you know who we had on that team? Cooper Cup. 
Cooper Cup in that game had 12 mm-hmm. catches for 206 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, so, you know, he obviously had an NFL caliber starting receiver on his team, and it was just ripping up the FCS level. Then his production really dropped the following year in 2017. It's only 26 touchdowns and 12 picks. And then in five games last year, 13 touchdowns and five picks. So I think that there's some accuracy question marks at this level, you know, that they're, they do have two seniors that also are on the quarterback depth chart, but I think the quarterback play is going to take a step back. He does have an NFL arm, but you know, I have more questions than many others I've heard who think that Goober just going to come in like Minshew did. And then this offense is going to be off and running. The defense has been improving and I think it will again, but I have some questions about Washington State. Over on their win total is eight. They're eight to one to win the Pac-12. You make their win total 7.7. What are your thoughts here on the Cougs? Yeah, 7.7 with a win total of eight. So I'm not going to have a play on them uh, over or under, and I'm not going to take them to win the conference or even win the North. You know, gamblers, they've already made up their mind on who's going to be the starter for this team. Uh, Gubrud uh, opened up at minus 110 uh, a couple of days ago, and he moved to minus 250 real quick. I think within 12 hours, he had already shot up as the person that's going to be the starting quarterback for week one. You know, they bring back a ton of receiving targets, a whole bunch of offensive line, but they're extremely thin in the secondary. Being thin in the secondary is going to get you in trouble in some games and look at that week three they're going up against houston i don't care what the total is there may be 150 points in that game between washington state and houston so be looking out for that and that is a neutral site game but it's in energy stadium in houston yeah but it's going to be a fast track and that that balls i mean 150 points i'm not lying about at least a live total should get up to 150 at some point before everybody's gassed out uh, you know, they just they just have four Pac-12 home games and they have a brutal road schedule within the conference, which means they have to go to Utah and then Oregon and Washington. And the problem with Washington is, you know, the defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake for the Huskies, he came out after they beat Washington State last year and he said they're easy to prepare for. They do the same thing every year. And I mean, that was uh, I'm not sure he, he meant to say it the way that he did after the game, but. You know, Washington State, as long as they're under Mike Leach and as long as they're running the same system on offense every single time, it's going to be easy for defensive coordinators like Jimmy Lake to prepare for that and to shut it down. So uh, it's going to be hard for me to ever take them to win the North or to win the Pac-12. And this year, I'm going to take a pass on their win total. I agree. Win total looks about right. That Houston game will go a long way in determining it. And if you assume, you know, they're not going to win at Washington, you know, at Oregon's tough at Utah, uh, you know, it looks about right for them um, right at seven. Uh, a team you mentioned, let's stay in the state of Washington and their Apple Cup rival, the Huskies, who have owned that rivalry of late. Washington, look, they lost a ton. If you just look at returning production, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which was their strength last year, they only returned two starters. They lost a ton of guys to the NFL draft. So, you know, there's a lot of questions in the secondary. Obviously, they bring in a lot of talent, but they, you know, losing that much. And then, you know, look, they play Eastern Washington. And we just mentioned them in Hawaii, two explosive offenses early on. So maybe one of them can give them a scare. But there's certainly questions about defense. And then on offense, look, they lost their all-time leading passer and their all-time leading rusher. Uh, so, yeah, they, look, they have self-talent. You know, you have Fuller at wide receiver, Ahmad is solid at running back, Hunter Bryant at tight end. Uh, but the question is, you know, their offensive line should be really solid. And the question is, how good can Jake Fromm be or one of the Jakes? So they lost Jake Browning, and then Jacob Eason came in from Georgia, who left because Jacob Fromm won the job. And then Jacob – I lose track of him, but Jacob Eason, who's supposed to be the starter this year for Washington, right. is also competing with Jacob Hayner and Jacob Sermon. It's like all Jakes, literally. So the only thing I know is that Washington will have a Jake 
again at quarterback uh on special teams you know they they do have their kicker and punter back but that was a question mark too so washington win total of a nine and a half seems really high you make it 8.3 but here's the kicker i mean i will say which gives me hesitation for going under here they do have five home games and their schedule is really easy i mean that is what they bet so they start eastern washington cal hawaii at home and they do go to BYU. But, I mean, their home games this year, they get Oregon at home and, and Utah at home, which is enormous. And then they have Wazoo at home as well. Their road conference games are Stanford, Arizona, Oregon State, and Colorado. So the schedule is really easy. What are your thoughts on uh, Chris Peterson and the Huskies? Well, first off, you got me on a tangent as you were sitting there talking. They have Jacob Kaiser at tight end. And they also have a Jacob Bandis at defensive tackle, both freshmen. So, uh, the, you know, I, I just can't get over the number of Jakes on this team. Who is this? It's Jake from State Farm. So Washington, they had the lowest returning production on defense in all of the FBS. Let's just get straight to the point here. Chris Peterson is going to have to do a ridiculous coaching job because it is a fresh set of faces everywhere. Jacob Eason hasn't won the job yet. I have questions about how good of a college quarterback he's going to be i mean couldn't win the job at georgia did not win the job here in the spring game against hayner you know so there's some questions for me about where the point's going to come from miles gaskin is gone uh you know the defense on the other hand has been you know great has been the mvp for them the last couple of seasons uh they've lost everybody over on that side of the game the schedule is something that i really do not like whatsoever you know eastern washington if you've watched any FCS playoff games, they like to put 70 points up in a flash. So that brand new defense, brand new faces, they get Eastern Washington right out of the gate. Should be a point spread. It could be 17 up to 28. I'm not really sure what's coming back for Eastern Washington, and they don't play any defense whatsoever. But to expect Washington to win by 35 points with a brand new offense, brand new defense is large. Uh, but in the middle of the season, they go to BYU, which is a very physical and very brutal game. Uh, and after that, they play USC. So that that's going to be tough sledding. I mean, they take any injuries or they're, they're beat up. Uh, you know, they have to go play USC directly after BYU. And then they have a really tough, uh, uh, you know, they have to go at Stanford. So it, it's just not, the schedule is easy in terms of the Pac-12. Uh, you know, you do have FCS, Eastern Washington, Hawaii is not considered any good. I'm not backing this team to win the North. I'm not excited about Jacob Beeson on the offensive side. They have to replace everything on the defensive side. So it's a year that I have pounded the under 10. And it got to it's down down to nine and a half. I don't think any tens exist anymore. Uh, nine wins, maybe. I mean, I've got them scheduled at uh, eight point three. So I, I would say anything nine and a half, take it under. I still approve of that. Yeah, Eastern Washington. You mentioned FCS. I mean, they will be in the discussion and probably in the playoff once again. Though they have one of the best quarterbacks in FCS and one of the best offensive lines at the FCS level. Defense is never great, but the offense will be explosive once again, and we'll really learn about. A lot about that Washington defense right off the bat on August 31st. You know, the schedule, you, you mentioned a couple of tricky spots. But at BYU can be tricky. Yeah, I think it's under. You have to go under with Washington at nine and a half. I think just how they've been the last couple of years and the name recognition is playing a lot into it. But, I mean, this is a team that lost eight players to the NFL draft. Um, all right, let's move on in the north and talk about Oregon State. We'll go to the seller here. Uh, this is a team that won two games last year. Their defense was absolutely horrifying. Uh, one of the worst defenses in the entire country. I think they were they gave up over 500 yards per game. I think they were 128th in the country. Their win total this season is two and a half. The over is juiced minus 150. You make this two and a half. Uh, so I think with the plus money, you have to look under, which was my thoughts as well. I mean, I made it right around two and a half as well. But if I'm getting significant plus money, I have to 
I think, go under here. Jake Luton is back at quarterback. The question is, can he stay healthy? They do have some talent and experience at the skill positions. You know, Jamar Jefferson in particular, running back. Uh, but the biggest question is the defense. This team on defense, I, I can't even describe how bad they were. They were the worst Power 5 defense in the 14-year <laughs> history of S&P+. Plus. So they weren't UConn bad, but it's in Power 5 terms, they were as bad as it gets. They, only, they were the only team to force single-digit turnovers. They also have questions on the offensive line. So, you know, I don't see how you can go over 2.5 minus 150 with Oregon State. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Would you agree here? Let's look at the games that are winnable on the schedule. Cal Poly. Cal Poly went from 1-10 to 5-6 and six last season. They return a whole ton on defense, but they don't have an offensive identity. So the problem with that is, is the strength of this Oregon State team is their running back, Jamar Jefferson. He returns at running back. Uh, he had 12 TDs last year. They actually ranked 20th in explosiveness on the ground, which is you know impressive considering the rest of the team is just a dumpster fire as far as a, a dumpster fire as far as advanced stats go. So, you know, they might get stopped by Cal Poly's defense. Cal Poly's defense returns everything. So if they could get by Cal Poly, the winnable games are at Hawaii, which you know you have to listen for the Group of Five podcast. I don't think that's happening. And at Cal, now Cal's defense, you know, if Cal Poly's defense is going to stop Oregon State. Cal's defense is definitely going to stop Oregon State. So I think the thing to do is ride this two and a half out. It's at minus 150. I have not actually looked around to see if a three exists, but if it's two and a half over minus 150, I think I might search around for a three and see if I can get a juice three under and, and kind of make that uh, get a little degenerate, a few hundred bucks, pull back the rubber band, throw a couple hundreds down and and ride the fun one on that because they have one strength, and that's the running game. And if a team can be ripped up the middle, uh, Oregon State's going to be able to do it. But their defense is god-awful. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. And I don't see any fixes this year. I like your thought process there and waiting to see if you can get a three because this team is not winning four games. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they lost at Hawaii and they lost at home to Cal Poly. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Some of you sportsbook guys that are out there listening, some of you odds makers, just for me, post an Oregon State and Kansas wins under four. Like, make it minus 110. I'll come in and throw some money on that. I'll have so much fun with that. Kansas and Oregon State under four. Which side would you be on? I don't think I'd be on a side. The only team that's winning three is Oregon State. But in order to do that, they'd have to win at Hawaii. So why not just bet them, you know, for whatever reason you like the Beavers, bet them at Hawaii. They're going to be, you know, one or two-point dog or one or two-point favorite, whatever. It'll be around a coin flip. So if you like them, bet them there. You'd be able to get Hawaii a plus money in that game. But, uh, you know, then again, Hawaii has to play uh, Arizona in week zero, and then they get two weeks off to take on Oregon State. So, I mean, that's just another knock on Oregon State not getting the three wins is that Hawaii gets two weeks to prepare for the attack of the Beavs. Good point. Um, All right, so let's move on to a team I think we actually might disagree on, um, although, you know, we've said this before, Collins' win total projections, when I project win totals, it's just a mathematical equation, right? So if, you know, a team, if you give them a 60% chance of winning this game, they're going to get this percent, this fraction of a win, and then you add them up. But it doesn't mean that just because it's lower than the win total, you're going to bet the under or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other factors that go into it. With Stanford, their win total is seven. You make it 6.7. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bet the under. I actually like Stanford over. There are a lot of things they have to get over. But in David Shaw, I trust to get to eight wins. Look, they have KJ Costello coming back, although there's only four other starters going back on offense. Uh, They lost a ton of production at receiver. Our guy that he used to just chuck the ball up to for those jump balls is gone. (laughs) But tight end Kobe Parkinson should be a stud. Their offensive line is the biggest question. 
right? So their tackles, if they're healthy, are going to be really good. And that's what they didn't have last year is healthy tackles. But they have to replace a lot in the interior. Uh, but Costello, I'm a huge fan of Costello. I think he's going to shoot up the draft boards. Uh, and I think Parkinson's going to emerge as one of the best tight ends uh, in all of college football. They also have a special team shot. They have one of the best kickers in the game in Jet Toner. They also have questions on the defense side of the ball. They lost six starters, uh, questions at safety. But the defense hasn't been great the last two years. The recruiting has been strong. So I, I think there could be some addition by subtraction there. I actually think you know, the schedule also isn't easy, but I think they're going to find a way to get to eight wins. You project 6.7. Are you going under here? Are you staying away? What are your thoughts on the Cardinal? I'm going to stay away, but if I had to make a bet, I would go on the under. And, you know, this is tip drill university. This is one of the most frustrating teams that we were betting against last year because they had J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Caden Smith, and they had Colby Parkinson. Colby Parkinson is the only one of those that returns. But, I mean, we call the team Trees, and I've been to Avenue of the Giants, and I've seen how big the trees actually are out there in Northern California, and that's what these guys were at tight end. And, and, and KJ Costello was just throwing tip drills all day, throwing up as high as he could. These guys would just kind of bounce the ball around like Dennis Robin pulling a rebound in 1996 and, and secure it and run down the field. And the thing is, is those guys were always in man coverage because Bryce Love was back there. You know, it hurt as it, he could be a decoy. He had, he had bum ankles or whatever, even if he was hot and he was healthy and he was running. You had to respect Bryce Love. And you had to put one-on-one coverage against these guys that were standing six foot seven. So they only have Colby Parkinson back and Bryce Love is gone. So a little bit of that, you know, maybe they can drop defenses can drop more players back to, to get into coverage. So, but KJ Costello does have a big arm. Uh, and, and you know, what la- he doesn't have as many physically massive targets uh to throw downfield to. So that's one thing uh that I'm looking at with their numbers. They do lose 119 career starts on the offensive line. That's not a good thing. Uh, that's four players that, that have exited out. The defense is is thin at linebacker, and they're thin in the secondary, uh, and they've had a hard time controlling the trench lately uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So, uh, you know, but the defense does have Paulson Adabo back. He's a shutdown corner. He had 19 pass breakups all by himself last year. So if you have a star wide receiver and nothing else, uh, you're going to get shut down by by Stanford in that regard. Uh, you know, the schedule, Stanford goes to USC, then they travel all the way over to Florida for like a noon kick. Uh, and then they come all the way back home to play Oregon. So they've got this Central Florida sandwich. And they play Oregon State off a of bye. I, I don't think Stanford's going to show up for that game at Central Florida whatsoever. And I've already, I can already hear the narrative in November with everybody at you know on the TV shoving down my throat that Central Florida is you know beat Stanford, beat Stanford. Such a perfect spot. But you know two of the two of the four Pac-12 road games that they have are Oregon State and Colorado. You know, and then Washington, Oregon come to to Palo Alto. So there's it's a lot of good things about this team, and there's a lot of bad things, but there are at least negative things I should say for the team. I mean, losing the amount of size that they have at wide receiver. And then those guys were always in one-on-one coverage with Bryce Love in the backfield. Um, so it's going to be a different Stanford team. So I'm still going to, you know, still going to hold jury here and watch the first few games. But I fully expect them, you know, in a look-ahead line, fully expect them to lose at Central Florida because they're not going to care. One last thing. David Shaw cares about Pac-12 play. In the last four years, he's 24-11 and 11 against the spread against the Pac-12. So while he may lose Central Florida and it may be ugly, he very much preps and gets them prepared and has a fantastic against the spread record against the Pac-12 over the past four years. I, I know that Love, they lost Love, but what did he do last year? Nothing, nothing. Yeah, he's a decoy. I mean, they, they couldn't move the ball on the ground. And they did lose a ton of their interior offensive line. You know, Jesse Burkett at center, which was big, and they lost their guards. And they lost a ton of starts. But they're getting two 
excellent tackles back. Walker Little and and uh, Foster Sarrell on on, at, on the right side who redshirted. So I think they're they're actually going to be able to run the ball better, even though they lost all these interior linemen and they lost Love at running back. So I'm actually higher on on the Stanford offense than I think the market. It's not a a win total. I'm rushing to bet because you know as you said at USC and then at UCF. And they're home at Notre Dame to close out the year. So, I mean, those three games are going to go a long way. And I'm assuming they beat Northwestern in week one at home, but it's Northwestern. So who knows? I do have some small money on over seven. Uh, I just trust David Sean. Like you said, they only have four road games in in conference. Uh, They do host Oregon and Washington. By the way, they host Oregon and Washington on September 1st and October 5th. We're going to have to bet this. We're going to have to hold our noses. When they're at Oregon State, we mentioned Oregon State's off a bye and that game is sandwiched in between Oregon and Washington. And that Oregon game will be after they went to UCF. So Stanford going up to Oregon State off a bye with Washington mm-hmm. on deck at home. It's going to be a spot I think we have to take a long, hard look at. Ugh. It's going to be one of those Saturday morning specials where we wait for a number to run by like seven points because uh, you know Floyd Mayweather went in and slammed Stanford. <laughs> yep. All right. So moving on. In the Pac-12 North, a team we haven't talked about that we've mentioned a couple times is Oregon. I was actually surprised to see, before I dug into their schedule, your win total was 7.8. Before I started digging Mm -hmm. into the Pac-12, I figured that your number would be higher. Their win total is over 8.5, minus 160. Mentioned before, the 3-1 to to win the Pac-12. This team, the first thing, you know, obviously they have Justin Herbert back quarterback. Could have been, you know, a top 10, top 5, even the first overall pick last year quarterback. He's back. Uh, they did lose Dylan Mitchell, that receiver, you know, close to 1,200 yards last year. But drops were a huge issue. You know, you might look at the numbers and say Herbert had a terrible year, but his receivers were awful. But they, a lot of them come back besides Mitchell, Johnny Johnson, Brennan Schooler. They did bring in Jawan Johnson, transfer from Penn State, but he had drop issues too. So the question is, can their receivers step up and take that next step this year? They're going to be solid at running back. They got uh, you know two sophomores who were playing as freshmen last year in Verdell and Die, so they're both well suited for their pistol offense. But the one thing I haven't mentioned yet is the offensive line, which is outrageous. It's the most experienced offensive line in college football. You know, you could potentially have you know five all Pac-12 guys on that offensive line, and then the defensive side, they have a new defensive coordinator who they brought in from Boise. They're going to play. You know, a more aggressive style. It's a great secondary, even with the Amadi loss at the nickel spot. There are still questions about the special teams. I will say that. Their freshman, Lewis, he might be their kicker and the punter. They lost, they lost both of their returners. So the special teams, you know, are questionable. Uh, but I love the offensive line. So I was loving Oregon. And then I get to their schedule. <laughs> and their schedule is brutal. They do have Nevada and Montana at home uh, in the non-con, which are two wins. And they go to Stanford, which is tough. Then they get Cal and Colorado at home. But they're going to Washington and they're going to USC. A late season November 23rd trip to Tempe. That's never easy. But it all comes down to the first game of the year against Auburn in Arlington. And if you like Oregon futures, if you like the Oregon win total, a lot of that is going to come down to that Auburn game. So if you like Oregon's win total at over eight and a half minus 160, now it's basically nine. I think to get to 10 wins, and I don't think they're going to sweep at Washington and at Stanford. The potential is high, but it all comes down. I think that Auburn game is going to set the tone for this Oregon team. What are your thoughts? You're right. The potential is very high, and there are a ton of things about this Oregon team to fall in love with, but there were two 
there were two things that I did not love. And one was the schedule. And the second was getting off on the right foot with the new defensive coordinator. So let's go ahead and look at them. You know, they're 32nd overall in returning production. They have every offensive line coming back. Uh, every offensive lineman that started in 2018 is coming back. That's seven different players. So seven different starters coming back. They're very deep. And they get probably, arguably, the best defensive line in the country against Auburn in game one. So that's just going to be a huge battle that I've already taken part of in the Action Network app. You guys can check out that and see which side I'm on. I've placed that bet earlier this season. As far as the new defensive coordinator, it's going to be Andy Avalos. He comes in from Boise State. So, you know, highly touted defensive coordinator Jim Livett, who was being paid a bunch of money to stay at Oregon and not go to Florida State with Willie Taggart. Uh, he came to a decision to leave his position, and that was, I think, right in the middle, right after, uh, I think, signing day. So I think it was uh, around February. But, um, you know, it was kind of an out-of-the-blue decision. I think Levitt was really kind of wanting to be the uh, the head coach there at Oregon, and, and they went with Cristobal instead. And I just don't think they ever got along. But, I mean, you know, that's just – you know, that's just me speculating about why a coach would leave, you know, potentially after signing day and, and after everything's been done with the season uh, and right before spring practice. So Andy Avalos, you know, just drove over from Boise, was living in a hotel uh, and, and left his family for about two months to to get practices up and geared. Uh, but, you know, we assume he settled in. They both run a three, four base. So schematically, Jim Levitt and Andy Avalos run a three, four space. But but Andy Avalos has this crazy hybrid stud uh, in position that, that can change him from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Uh, it can change him into multiple looks. As matter of fact, Cristobal said, he'll use two or one defensive lineman in a 2-4-5, a 1-5-5, or a 1-4-6 formation. Uh, and it's, he's going to try to create matchup issues with this Oregon defense. And that really makes me nervous. Uh, you know, they had a problem. Uh, with a pass rush in the first place, they couldn't control the trench and the rushing game uh, on defense. And now you're going to throw an X where you could go from a 3-4 to a 1-5-5 to a 1-4-6 on these kids. And you're going to do it in the very first game uh, against Auburn, against Gus Malzahn. That worries me a little bit in, in the number one game, which is which is why I don't like taking their win total over or having them in week one. They do have five conference home games, uh, but they do travel to Stanford, Washington, and USC. And I'm going to end on this note with, with Oregon. Because you are the guy. We played Trivial Pursuit together. We've done, you know, you are the guy that we need to get on Jeopardy from the Action Network. So let me ask you this. When is the last time Oregon has beaten Washington State? When is the last time Oregon has covered Washington State? Do you know? I know it's been a while because when we did, when I did a piece last year, I know that Washington State has won four in a row. So I'm going to say 20, did they play in 2014? You know, I'll say 2014 is the last time that Oregon won the last time they covered probably 2013. That team probably won. Yeah. I'll say 2013 and 2014. This is why you are the czar of our gambling world. So they have not beaten Washington state since 2014. Oregon has not covered Washington state since 2009, wow. 2009. I mean, I was, I was going, I was going through this. I was like, this can't be right. I, and I still, you know, I still, I still can't believe it. And I feel like I need to maybe quadruple check myself, but they have not covered since 2009. So uh, there's a problem here. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, overall, I, I'm not taking an Oregon under. Uh, I actually, I sorry, I have. I took an Oregon under uh, at low limits back in May when they released it at nine. Uh, I believe I took it again when the limits were up to two hundred and fifty dollars uh, on the under eight and a half. But uh, you know, that's the way that I would go. Uh, I haven't invested any more money because I've invested a lot more money on Auburn in week one. There you have it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I see why people love Oregon, but. And look, keep an eye on freshman Micah Pittman. If him and Jawan Johnson comes in and, and the other Johnson and the receivers from last year take a big step up and their tight ends can stay healthy with that offensive line and Herbert, I mean, their wide receiver drops last year were just amazing. 
how many they had. That offense can be awesome. All right, let's finish out here with the one team we didn't cover, and then we'll just recap our favorite win totals in the Pac-12, and that is Cal. Uh, Look, the question with Cal, I think their win total is five and a half. They're 50 to one to win the Pac-12. Is this just the same story with Cal? Their defense is outrageous. It's really good, Um, and they bring back a ton. They bring back eight of their top ten tackles. I think they were, you know, they were a top 15 defense last year. Rock solid at linebacker, really their whole front seven. They got everyone back in the secondary that had 21 picks last year, which is second most in the country. But the, the offense was just atrocious. And they lost their top three wideouts. Uh, they lost Laird at running back. Their quarterback, I think it's their quarterback is back, but they also could be, who was their quarterback? Chase Gabers, I think. They were especially terrible in the red zone, actually, on defense, too. But their offense just has nothing going for it. And they turned it over constantly. One of the worst turnover teams in the country. So, look, they got a good punter. Their defense should be excellent. But their offense, I don't, it's just going to hold them back, I think, once again. I mean, they, I, I do love this defense. I just wish it was on another team. They have two senior safeties. Uh, Evan Weaver is one of the best linebackers in the country. I love him. But the offense, it's just, it's atrocious. So, you know, I look at the schedule. They start with UC Davis at home. Then they're at Washington. Then they play a, a tough North Texas team at home. Then they're at Ole Miss. You know, they also go to Oregon, to Utah, to Stanford. It's a brutal schedule. I don't see how they get the six wins. I know you make it 6.4, but I just don't trust this offense at all. The number is probably about right, but I would not bet the over. What do you, Any thoughts on Cal? Cal starts with the letter C, and the Cheez-It Bowl starts with the letter C. So uh, I, I would expect more of the same of that of that filthiness that we saw in that bowl game last year. I mean, this is a team that returns their best defensive lineman, and they return everybody in the secondary. So it's going to be more of this extremely stellar, outstanding defense followed up by some of the worst offense in the country. We're talking 129th in finishing drives. We're talking 126th in offensive explosiveness. We're talking 96th in rushing S&P+. Plus. They are an extremely tough watch on offense. Where do they get the six wins? I don't know. First game out of the gate is UC Davis, which has the quarterback, which is probably one of the best in all of FCS. So, you know, look for California. You know, Cal's defense is going to be, you know, uber focused on them. And then the following week, they go on to play Washington. So I think it's going to be up and down. I think every week you just pick your poison. I mean, there were weeks where you're on Cal last year and they committed seven turnovers. Take a week off, they'd play stellar defense and have some good offensive efficiency and they'd win the game. We'd be back on them next week and they'd have five turnovers on offense. We're going to be an enigma, impossible to predict. Reminds me of a coastal team in the ACC where they could either you know win by 21 or, or not cover by 21. So it just seems to be the, the, the way it is with Cal until they get an offensive heartbeat. Yeah, you nailed it with the turnovers. I mean, that's basically what it's going to come down to their win total, I think. Like, they were really lucky with turnovers, and a lot of it was because they're good on defense, but they forced a ton, and they were probably a little unlucky on turnovers and offense. So which one of those regresses more? You know, and I think that's what it'll decide. I think they were 7-0 and when they threw one pick or less, and then 0-6 when they threw two picks or mm-hmm. less last year. I mean, the quarterback play is just – I don't know how it's going to get better. I mean – Look, they got the South Carolina transfer, Brandon McElwain, he comes in. Maybe he can give them a spark. But Garber's at quarterback. It's just it just wasn't working last year. All right. So for Colin, I kind of have the same feeling on Oregon, but for you know another perspective, and maybe one that's a little more biased, maybe not. I'm gonna talk to my friend uh Dan Rubenstein, who might owe me a, a sandwich, I think, still for my take that bet. Uh what's going on, Dan? 
Not much. Enjoying the last couple of weeks before the season starts, the last month or so. Trying to get outside as much as possible because Saturdays are about to be an indoor day for a long time moving forward. So, you know, getting getting ready. Yep, it's the uh, calm before the storm. And I did want to talk to you about Oregon 2019 football. I do also want to talk to you about 2000, the 2007 team. I really like the piece that you sure. wrote about that team. But let's start with this year's team. Colin and I recently just talked about, you know, how we love their offensive line, the most experienced offensive line in college football. You know, mm-hmm. Herbert obviously back at quarterback. The receivers, there's potential there, but the drops were an issue last year. But there's a there's a high ceiling for this team, I believe. The schedule is tough, but what when you look at this Oregon team, what do you look at as their ceiling and their floor? And what are like some key things that have to go right or things that could go wrong to make this season turn sour? Sure. I think the offense needs to be more creative. Um, They have taken on Mario Cristobal, for better or worse, his view of football and winning everything in the trenches. And they have the offensive line to really inflict a lot of damage. But we saw last year, especially on the road, whether it was Arizona, Washington State or Utah, a lot of really slow, sloppy starts that Justin Herbert couldn't win alone. And when they started to get more creative, whether it was against UCLA or Arizona State, which was at home, but getting the ball to speed and just swing passes, little hitches, just easy stuff to take free yards, the offense moved. They stayed on the field. They put up points, and they got into a rhythm. And so that's what I'm looking for. If they're going to hit their ceiling, they're going to have to go away a little bit more from that sort of downhill pistol formation that they have sort of relied on. Um, and the ceiling is winning the conference. The ceiling is beating Washington. It's, you know, finally beating Washington State after, I think, four straight years of losing to the Cougars. It's beating Stanford and not losing in a dumb way like they did last year. So they have that. They go to USC. The schedule, as you mentioned, is tough. And obviously they open against Auburn in Texas, but it's offensive creativity. It's Herbert looking more consistent and not relying on a guy, whether it's Micah Pittman, whether it's the transfer from Penn State, Jawan Johnson, whether, you know, Micah Pittman's an incoming freshman that I think may crack the starting lineup, if not immediately by week two or three. So they should be better at receiver. They are deeper at running back. So I think they're winning the conference if the defense is a lot more unpredictable and uh, if the offense becomes a little bit more creative. Their floor, though, is probably a seven and five team, seven and five, eight and four team once again, uh, just because if they're not able to figure it out on the road with who they play on the road, it can get ugly quickly. And I think that sort of thing can spiral. I, I think that they're still a bowl team no matter what because of Justin Herbert and the talent that they've recruited to Eugene. But they feel like a nine or 10 win team, not much more unless they win a couple of 50 50 moments. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I I love the kid Pippen. He has a ton of potential. I think they come in and produce right away. Johnson also very talented kid, but one of the, the things that sticks out with him, he had drop issues, which was an Oregon yeah. issue last year. So does he come in and get it together, or does that become a persistent theme again this year? Uh, you mentioned the Auburn game. Are you really excited? Or are you nervous? I'm really hopeful. I'm hopeful because Oregon has the offensive line in a way that they haven't in a number of years past to neutralize, you know, Derek Brown and what looks to be a really strong Auburn defensive line. I am, again, I'm just, I'm hopeful. I'm not nervous. I'm not uh, biting my nails. I'm hopeful that they can just get into a rhythm in the screen game. I just, I'm terrified that they will go three and out their first three drives. And it's going to look like they did last year with, with this long off season to, to go into that huge game in Texas in a giant stadium and not, solve any of the issues they had last year 
that'd be pretty infuriating. But if they're able to get into a rhythm early on and, you know, it's a big stadium, it's a little different, I, I'm hopeful that they can win a game like that, even if it's ugly. If they're not winning this game, they should be in it until the end. If they're not competitive in this game, that is a, a pretty big mark against this, this coaching staff right on the onset. So feeling, I guess, cautiously optimistic that they're at least going to show something new. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to the, the game. And like you mentioned, the offensive line of Oregon versus that front seven of Auburn, I think is just mm-hmm. a fascinating, awesome early season matchup. And I'll take this time to throw some shade at the other team in Alabama because I love these, you know, power five non-conference matchups early on in the season. And I hope Alabama, I think we have to wait until 2022 when they go to Texas. But I'm, I would just love to see Alabama do it more often. I mean, they, they play Duke in New Mexico State and, you know, to start off the year. But uh, I'm really looking forward to this to this early season matchup. Before we get to the 0-17 that I mentioned, I did want to ask you two other things. Win total at eight and a half, over or under? I mean, it's juiced high to the over. And then do you have any thoughts on the special teams potentially being a big concern for Oregon. Is that something you're worried about? And would you go over under eight and a half? I think the return game will be okay. The kicking game is terrifying. Um, They they were really strong as a special teams team under Chip Kelly and most of the time under Mark Helfrich. So I'm worried about that. But I think I like the over barely. I mean, they they feel like a nine win team to me right now, just because I – I'm going to assume some sort of road struggles and, you know, having Auburn and Washington on the road and I believe Stanford on the road. It's tough, so I feel better about Oregon's chances against Stanford than I have in a long time. Stanford is going through a, a, a really secretly weird patch, I think, right now on both sides of the ball. So I, I like the over there. And the fact is that they're so much more talented now than they've been these past couple years that they should be able to rotate in guys more than they've ever been able to. They should be stronger in the fourth quarter. I like the strength program a whole bunch. Uh, When you look at, like, the the defense is anchored by a number of upperclassmen, both in the secondary, Troy Diet, inside linebacker, Jordan Scott in the middle. They've finally gotten to a point where even if they don't look great, that they could still win, pull out a game 20 to 17. And I don't think you could say that these past couple years, whether it's, you know, against Utah, like the, Utah was a winnable game last year and they just got bogged down offensively and they came back against Washington state. I know they had injuries up front for that game, but that was a game that they could have if they were competent early been in, if not, you know, taken that game. So I think they're going to be closer in a lot of those games to winning than they have been. And so nine feels about right. Nine or 10. I'm starting to lean towards Oregon in in this game against Auburn, but I'm thinking back to last year when Auburn played Washington and Washington had all kinds of kicking problems and special teams issues last year. And they missed They They were inside the Auburn 10 in the second half down by two. And then they missed that. They ended up missing that field goal, which was huge. So in a game that, you know, you expect to be really close and competitive, you know, we're going to learn a lot about their kicking situation and it could make or break that game and, and season and win total. The thing I'm curious about, and I think all of that is right, is that game last year, Auburn comes out looking pretty incredible, the first, whatever, five, ten minutes of that game, and Washington didn't back down. Washington didn't let it get in their head. Washington just sort of held their ground, they stayed calm, they ran their offense, they got going on defense, and it, it was a close game, because I think they went down maybe 10 nothing pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, if that happens against Oregon, mentally, is Oregon in a place where they can say, it's cool. We trust our offense. We trust our defense. We trust the coaches. We trust the players. Let's just keep going. Or if they sort of start panicking and throwing the ball downfield unnecessarily, going all out defensively and calling all sorts of blitzes and whatever, 
and really showing panic. That's I don't know either way because we haven't seen Oregon in a spot like this. They look very good against Washington, but they didn't get punched in the mouth the same way that Washington did against Auburn. So that, to me, is a big curiosity, even more so than special teams, because special teams will only matter if it's a close game kicking-wise. And if it gets in Oregon's heads, then all of a sudden 10 nothing turns into 21-3 pretty quickly. Yep. No, that's a great point. Uh, you're talking about what if, so I think it's a good transition to the 2007 Oregon team. And you did a, mm. a great piece on, you know, how the season really just took a turn for the worst due to injuries to the quarterback and a number of other factors. And that 2007 was a wild year in general. I'll tweet out the article for everyone listening. Tell us about the disappointment <laughs> when their quarterback went down and everything kind of turned for the worst in that Arizona game. Yeah, it was the 2007 season. Uh, Dennis Dixon was the quarterback, the starting quarterback uh, against Arizona, but it was the week before against Arizona State at home in a nice win. Uh, I think that Arizona State was a top 10 team. He tears his ACL sort of in meaningless later time in the game. He's sort of running out of bounds and gets hit a little bit, but nothing crazy, just twisted a little bit. And they keep him practicing they you know bandage everything up they put him in a brace he's able to move well enough just in the pocket and running straight forward but against Arizona on the Thursday night early on in that game after running for like a 40-yard touchdown he just is trying to like evade a rush and tries to cut back in and just collapses into a heap and tears his ACL which was Far from the first injury of the season, they had been dealing with a ton of injuries, especially on offense at receiver. Jeremiah Johnson, who was the sort of counterpunch to Jonathan Stewart, goes down with a pretty bad injury. He was sort of an all-purpose back and returner. So between all the injuries at receiver, on defense, a couple of key guys go out. Dennis Dixon going out. They, they had only lost once. They lost to, to Cal. Yeah. Cal was very, very good. So they lose that game, and that was they lose that game as Cameron Colvin, starting receiver, reaches for the pylons and as he does reaches for a pylon and as he does the ball sort of squirts out of bounds and it's a touchback and that's the game but in terms of talent in terms of because that's chip kelly's first season as offensive coordinator for oregon this was like the big ushering in of playing the spread with pace adding the zone read into things you know quick screens and just lightning attacks they, they went to michigan and just destroyed the Wolverines um, and they were going deep. They were running. They have a Statue of Liberty. They have a fake Statue of Liberty. So they quickly become this version of Oregon that suddenly becomes this incredibly popular team for years to come. People in, you know, if you're in Florida, if you're in New York, if you're in Minnesota, all of a sudden Oregon football is a brand because of that 2017, because of the uniforms, because of the, the style of play. And so after Dennis Dixon tears his ACL against Arizona, Behind him, it's, you know, Ryan Leaf's little brother, Brady. It's another quarterback actually tore his ACL early on in the season who probably would have come in and played. And so it fell apart. They lose really ugly to UCLA. It was something like 12 nothing at UCLA. Um, and they actually, it, it, the story ends pretty well because they get it together enough with, a I think, a redshirt freshman quarterback, and they just absolutely vaporize South Florida in the Sun Bowl in Jonathan Stewart's last game, and he rushes for 240-some-odd yards. So it ends well, but it was sort of the uh, the bottom fell out when Dennis Dennis Dixon's knee uh, buckled, and he was on the way to winning the Heisman. Oregon was on the way to at least finding themselves in contention for the national championship game, and it's one of those things where it just wasn't meant to be, I guess. And it is amazing the drop off after all those injuries to go from the, this team that was scoring fifty plus to putting up a goose egg. Fascinating. So I have to ask you if they do stay yeah. fully healthy. In your mm -hmm. unbiased or biased, if you want to give an opinion, 
do they end up winning the national championship? Where are they the best team in the country? And because of that innovative offense, would they have just went through and, and won every game and, you know, ended up beating LSU? I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a no doubter. And I don't know if they play LSU or Ohio state. I forget how it fell at that point. If Ohio state had one loss and LSU two, I'm pretty sure LSU had two. So I don't know who they would have ended up playing. It's not a no doubter. It's not a no brainer, but yes, given they would have ended up in that game for sure. They would have beaten Arizona. They would have beaten UCLA. Um, they would have, I believe they also lost to Oregon state in the last second. So they would have easily beaten Oregon state and gotten to that point. Cause there was not a, uh, a PAC 12 or a PAC. There wasn't PAC 12 didn't even exist. It wasn't a PAC 10 championship game. So they would have ended up in the BCS national championship and sure dealing with a defensive line. I think, uh, Glenn Dorsey was on LSU that year. So they're dealing with something that's a step up from what they're used to in conference, um, whether it was Ohio state or LSU, but they end up in that game. And, and funny enough, I actually think the 2012 team is, is a little bit more disappointing to me in terms of not ending up in the championship game because they would have gotten Notre Dame, the Everett Golson Notre Dame team. Oregon goes 11 and one regular season. They win, they go 12 and one. It was the strongest defense of the Chip Kelly era. He had recruited, and you talk about luck, he had recruited really, really well given Oregon and how they had or hadn't historically. So they were deeper than they, they'd ever been. So they could withstand injuries. They, you know, you talk about in the NFL, you talk about in college, the reason why Clemson and Alabama are what they are, it's not because they just have the best starters. It's when a starter goes down, the backup left guard, there's almost no drop-off. And Oregon did not have that in 2007. They had it much more so in 2012. They lose the game close to Stanford that they lose. And we're really at the Anthony Thomas block on a long Mariota run away from going undefeated. Uh, Mariota gets tackled at the 10 or something like that. DeAnthony Thomas is just sort of celebrating running ahead of him and they don't finish the drive after Mariota gets tackled. And that's the team that to me is the best Oregon team of all time. They, they win, I believe the Fiesta bowl over Kansas state and just, we, it, it's lost to memory at this point, but that was, that was the best Oregon team ever in Mariota's freshman year. Yeah, Stanford uh, haunts them again. They won an overtime yep. that year. And uh, I have a bone to pick with Oregon for last year. I hope they get their revenge this year. I had Oregon against Stanford last year. I don't think Brutal. I've ever I don't think I've ever lost a game that was that painful in my entire life. Where where were you for that game? And did you were, were you basically like celebrating like it's over, we won? Because I was, and I never do that. I basically was. Yeah, I was watching at home uh, with my wife my very pregnant wife at the time. It, even though Stanford in 2018, it wasn't necessarily like beating Stanford in 2011 or 12. They weren't that dominant. It wasn't a Harbaugh team. It wasn't an early shot team. It would have been a really nice win for Mario Cristobal as a, a first-year head coach for Oregon. And the fact that losing on the snap, losing on the reaching the pylon situation, and then losing on the fumble when they're just running the clock out. And obviously they don't play a strong second half, but once it goes to overtime, you, you see that the universe is working in such a way. And I'm not a big person who likes to blame the gods above the football gods. But as soon as the game goes to overtime, like there's just no way Oregon's winning this game. Like it, it's just been decided that the breaks are not going Oregon's way. And so it's not luck. It was just, it was not their day that to have it go wrong in those three ways was just, it, it drained the life out of me. Yeah, I mean, I remember they were going to go up 31-7 and fumbled the ball at the goal line and was returned for yep. a touchdown. And it swings to 24-14, and then it's 24-21. And I'm sitting there cursing that play. But then they recovered. They had a big drive. They scored a touchdown at 31-21 a couple minutes ago. I'm like, we're good. And 
Stanford strikes again and wins in overtime. So I hope you get your revenge this year. I wish you luck in that first game against Auburn. Thanks for joining us, Dan, and I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout the season. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That'll wrap up the Pac-12. We'll obviously be covering a lot more of that throughout the season. But before we go, let's just wrap up rapid fire. What are a couple of your favorite win totals? I have a, a small piece of Stanford over seven. I have Utah over nine. And if I had to, which, and I haven't finalized my Pac-12 win totals yet, I would go under on Wazoo, under on Cal, but I'm probably staying away there. Under on Oregon State with the plus money, under on UCLA, under on USC, and under on Washington. So I like a lot more unders than the overs, which is, you know, Stanford, Utah, potentially Colorado, but you're higher than I am on there. And Arizona, Mm -hmm. Arizona State, like we said, complete stay away. I think of both those teams, it'll probably come down to the last game of the year. And Oregon, I'm staying away too because I think it just comes down to that Auburn game. Uh, how about you? Recap? Over on Colorado, I got them at three and a half, but I still suggest taking it at four. Uh, everything Utah, it doesn't matter. Over nine to win the Pac-12, search for the best number out there. Three, I think I said this before, plus 350 is the bottom I'd go on finding Pac-12 future odds. So shop around. Uh, definitely an under on USC. Got it at 6.1 versus the seven that's out there. Oregon, I'm doing the under on the eight and a half. The biggest team total that I have played uh, in the Pac-12 is under on Washington. So if somebody's got a 10 out there that's heavily juiced, or maybe you're in Vegas and you can go to Circus Sports and they've got kind of sort of the alternate lines. Under 10 is worth any amount of money you can get down. I think that's it. And also I'm going to take uh, Utah to beat Oregon. I haven't seen division odds come out. You know, um, Usually the, the, those come out around Vegas or maybe in New Jersey, but I haven't seen them yet. But I'm going to go with Utah beating Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. There you have it. That is our Pac-2019 Pac-12 preseason preview Thank you for listening. Thanks, as always, for joining me, Colin. Shout out to Dan Rubenstein for joining us to talk some Oregon. Up next, the SEC. Uh, Then we'll also get into the group of five. We'll do a recap episode. And then all of a sudden, we'll be here talking games. Make sure that you subscribe, unsubscribe, rate us, leave a review. We love you all. Thanks for listening. uh, And enjoy your weekends. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.